This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. It would be like today making headlines. I mean, it would be breaking news today. People had, had heard about this miraculous uh, miracle, how Jesus raised the dead, and they just they can't get over that. They, they, uh, so that, that took place. <clears throat> and then you remember the evening prior to that, to those events here, we read about Mary came and anointed Jesus. Remember that? We talked about that last time that I talked. Uh, she used very expensive ointment called nard. It's the purest form. And it, that was um, something that uh, stood up in people's minds as well. They, I'm sure they heard all about that uh, taking place. So in other words, we're down to about five days now before the Passover. Now, when I say the Passover feast, that is something very important and people are coming from all over the world to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So you're talking about thousands of people that are trying to make their way into Jerusalem for this Passover feast. And that's very important because Jesus is going to be showing up. All these people have heard things about Jesus. They're they're interested about the miracles they heard. They, they're interested about this man they called. They maybe don't know everything about him, but they are certainly coming to see what it's all about. And in the back of their minds, we have to remember a lot of them are thinking, this is the king of kings that is coming to save us from the Roman rule. He's going to take us away from all the, the what the Romans have, are putting us under. So that's what's kind of in their minds as they're coming to this Passover feast. So uh, oftentimes, uh, and, and I, I begin to think about uh, this particular situation because I was thinking, hey, this is the people from Jerusalem that are be lining the streets and celebrating uh, Jesus coming through there. But really, I'm sure they were there, no doubt about it, but they were probably overcome by the thousands of other people that were coming. So it, you got to keep in mind that this, this is not just Jerusalem Jews here. It's not fair just the Pharisees, but it's, it's, it's a group and groups of other people. Now, I also thought about this. We, we know the story where they had the, the palm branches and they waved the palm branches when Jesus was getting ready to enter through that. Now, did all of a sudden they go out and just start gathering palm branches that day because of what was taking place? But as I, I studied into that a little bit, the palm branch was actually a national symbol of patriotism. So they knew the feast was coming up. They wanted to, they would have probably brought those palm branches with them, gathered them, had them there with him. Today, it would be like July the 4th. You know, when we, when we have July 4th come around, we begin to see flags everywhere. People got the little flags, they're waving them in their hand. The children have flags. People got them on their cars, and we see them on the streets. We see them everywhere. And, and so that's kind of like the palm branches here to this particular celebration that is getting ready to take place. So really, Jesus is almost getting a hero's welcome. But little do they know that they're thinking who Jesus was and what he's here to do 
was really not what Jesus was. Jesus had a mission of his own. He was sent from his father, and he came to do the will of his father, and he was going to do that. So let's go ahead to uh, verse number 9. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came, look at this, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see, guess who? Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Poor Lazarus. He's died one time of sickness. And Jesus raised him from dead. Boy, they're ready to put him dead again. But Lazarus, like I said earlier, man, he, he made the headlines. So, you know, not only are the people looking forward to seeing Jesus, but they're thinking, hey, we want to see this guy that Jesus raised from the dead. We're really wanting to see him too. And so this is all... You know, all this crowd that's got this hype up about Jesus and Lazarus, that's just making the Pharisees even even matter. They don't like that. They don't like any of that's going on. So we see here that these as these large crowds have gone on to Bethany and they've heard about this miracle of Lazarus, they're seeing, they want to see Jesus, and they're heading out to go to Jerusalem, and the crowd is going to follow him an even larger crowd from Jerusalem. And they're going to meet him as he approaches, and they will return to the city and get ready for this big Passover celebration. Now, notice also in verse 11, because that by reason of him, that meaning Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So because of that miracle itself, Many, many of them believed on Jesus from that point on. I mean, when they saw him do that miracle, something they'd never seen before, then they said, hey, it's something different about, about the Lord here, Jesus. So here they are. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So here they are in place. They heard Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and this is where they go and get their palm branches in verse 13, and went forth to meet him and cried. Notice some of the words that they're crying. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. So they're waving these palm branches, and they're going to be shouting Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means save us now or bring salvation now. So what, are, what kind of saving are they talking about? What kind of salvation are they talking about? They're hoping that this is who's going to come and save them from the Roman rule and bring that blessed salvation, not spiritually really, but salvation from being ruled over. And they are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So both of those things, Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where, where does that come from? And it, it's so amazing how prophecy, the scriptures speak to us from the Old Testament. Take your Bibles real quickly. I want you just to see this and turn back to Psalm 118 
And let's look at verse 25 and 26. Psalm 118, here we are all the way back over here in the Old Testament and what's going to take place. Notice the very wording itself. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. You see that? That's what they were hoping for. Blessed is be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So that very words of prophecy back in Psalms is what we're finding the people shouting over here in the Gospel of John when Jesus is coming through here. So we, we think about the Psalm and what it's saying. It's in expectation of the Messiah, the Savior. But then the crowd adds this other part, even the King of Israel. So they're, they're, they're wanting to add this part in here that they're looking for him to come as a, as a king that is going to take over every situation that is around them right now and bring them to the forefront and bring the Jews to victory. But of course, Jesus came to die for all. And he's going to bring that spiritual salvation. Uh, notice another uh, prophecy here as well. It says in verse number 14, Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set thereon as it is written. Whenever you see that in the Bible, as it is written, that's speaking about some prophecy that has been written aforetime. And was that the case here? Yes. Where was that prophecy at? It was and Zechariah 9.9. And it gives you Zechariah 9.9. We don't have to turn to it. The very next verse, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. So we find here that prophecy is definitely taking place. Things are happening here. But remember, they're seeing him as some big political deliverer. That's what they're waving those branches about. That's what their patriotism is about. That's what they're shouting about. They, they see Jesus as a physical savior who is going to end this Roman oppression. And they did not have, and they didn't even know. They have no idea, most of them, that they, he was coming to die in order to save them from their sins and the wrath of God. He's coming to set them free. And they're thinking political otherwise. So that's why, and I often wonder why these people turned on the Lord so much later on. And that's the very reason. They're, they're waving these branches and they're shouting on top of their lungs and they're happy and they're joyful and this is great. But it's not going to be too much longer for those same people will be shouting, crucify, crucify. Now, where, why did that change so much? What did Jesus do to change that? I'll tell you what, they did, what he did. His words spoke to them, and they realized, hey, he's not a political leader here. He's not going to save us from the Romans here. He, he's doing something. In fact, he, he's going down another different road altogether. So, hey, I'm not here to, I'm not waving my palm branch at him no more. But I'm saying, hey, Crucify him. Get rid of him. 
So you can see the big difference that is that has taken place here. Verse 16, these things understood not his disciples at the first. So even his disciples, somewhere in that crowd, they're standing off and they're listening. And they're listening to the, to the crowd hollering and they're probably getting caught up in that. Yeah, this is good. This is good. I mean, they're really starting to like Jesus here. Man, this is great. And they, they had listened to the words of Christ. They had been in his ministry. They had been around him. They knew what Jesus had been trying to tell them. I'm come to do my Father's will. I'm going to lay down my life. They're going to kill me. In fact, they had been around him when many times people wanted to kill Jesus and he would leave the scene. But see, that didn't register in their mind right then. That's what that scripture means. They, they, they just didn't understand these things at first. But will they under, will they remember? Look at what it says. Verse 16, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So after the ascension of Christ, Christ dies, Christ buried, Christ's resurrection, and after that ascension, because it said his glorified. So after that, then they, they were like, oh yeah, I remember now. I remember these things. So it came to their remembrance there. And I think that when John is really, what, why, is, why is he trying to tell us about these people? Why is he going in such detail about one time they're happy over the Lord, waving the branches and shouting. The next time they're saying crucify, they're going to put him to death. Why, why does John do that? And I think John wants to give us that example of people who, who apparently seemed to put their faith in Christ, but later on, they really didn't. It wasn't real. It wasn't something that they, a true saving faith. And so we can see the difference between the true and the false. The one crowd, they believed on Jesus. There was going to be a king who gave them whatever they wanted. You remember when we were going through John and, and Jesus would be performing those miracles and he'd, 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 do, he'd, give, he'd do a miracle on the bread and the fish over here and he'd feed them over here and he'd do these great things to raise, uh, help those that were sick over here. And, and whenever they saw that, many times they followed him for that. Oh, yeah, let's go. I mean, you never know when Jesus is going to provide another meal for us. You never know when Jesus is going to do something miraculous over here. We get to see this. I mean, let's go. And so there was that crowd that followed him just to see the things that he was going to do. But many times when Jesus would stop, and begin preaching and teaching and telling people what they what they were like and they were they were lost and that they needed they needed to accept him and believe in him. Many times, boy, they that, that was enough. I don't want to hear none of that. You know, you ever done that? You ever try to witness to somebody? And as long as we're talking about the weather, as long as we're talking about a vehicle, as long as we're talking about something else, I mean, they're buddy buddy and they're fine and they're great. But as soon as they, you know something, did you know? I'm so glad Jesus died for you and me. And you know, the Bible tells us, and, and right away, sometimes they say, well, you know, I, I got to go. I really, uh, 
I got to move on and I got to do something else. So that's the way the crowd was with Jesus as well. He had those people, and I think that's what John has been trying to get across as we've been studying through here, the difference in the crowd. So once they realized that wasn't what Jesus was about, then they wanted him dead. They wanted him crucified. So those crowds had expectations of Jesus based on what they wanted, what they thought, not based on the Scripture. And even today, there are people who want to say, I'll serve the Lord if he'll give me this and do this for me and do that for me and take care of this and that. And I believe the Lord does take care of us. I believe the Lord meets our needs. He doesn't meet our wants, but he meets our needs. And many times I'm so thankful that I have him to go to. And that's what we should do as Christians. But he's not just someone that's at our beck and call every time we need something. I mean, we need to just have days where we don't really need anything, but we're just thankful and praising the Lord for who he is. And so uh, these people, of course, wanted a king. They wanted the kind of king that was going to bring some kind of political freedom, not freedom from sin, but they, they wanted worldly possessions. They wanted provisions. And that's not what Jesus came to offer. Yes, he will provide for our needs. But the greatest need we have is a savior for our sins. And so that's the most important thing here. So as we, we come on down here, the disciples didn't understand at first. Now, look at verse 17. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. He keeps going back to, to that miracle of Lazarus, doesn't he? Because it made such an impression on them. For this cause, the people also met him, for, they, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. So this it caused such great excitement in Jerusalem that those people that were there for the feast didn't even live there. They had heard about this. I mean, it, it made news. And so uh, when he performed this miracle, they certainly wanted to know uh, in all about it. You can imagine, they probably came saying, man, we're going to see the, the man who did it, and we're going to see the man who was raised from the dead. So that was the two main things that they were coming along with um, the festival here. Now, what's this do? What's all of this doing to the Pharisees? It's just making a matter. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? And they came to this conclusion, behold, the world is gone after him. So the Pharisees are so upset that they have all these people that have come from around the world to this to Jerusalem, and they're watching them follow Jesus, hollerate these things, waving the palm branches, and they said, oh my goodness, the whole world's following this man. They're following him. And, and why it's making them so upset is because they had a racket going. I mean, it messed everything up for them. You got to remember, the, these guys, they, they had probably a kickback coming from the Roman government. They were defrauding people with temple tax. 
They were living in a comfort zone. I mean, it, it was easy living for them. And the Pharisees see all of this and they say, we're not, we're not gaining nothing here now. The whole world's following Jesus. And essentially, really, they were right in a sense. The Romans are going to take notice of Jesus. They're taking notice of all this crowd. They're taking notice of everything that is happening here, and they're going to have to do something about it. So the Pharisees are getting desperate. They're getting worried. And everything that they had done to try to keep Jesus on the outside, to try to keep his ministry down, they're saying, you know what? We, we, haven't, we haven't done anything. This ain't working at all. That's why they said amongst themselves, we have prevailed nothing. So they figure that everything they've been trying to do, it's just not going to work. And it's not working. So you got to remember some of the things that they, what have they tried to do to Jesus? They made up stories. They brought false witnesses against him. They, they have uh, even said he was demon-possessed. They said he was a blasphemer. And so they have done everything they could to try to damage Jesus' character and his ministry. And here they're trying, they're seeing the people saying, hey, we're, we're on Jesus' side here. We're following Jesus. So what a difference that things are happening here. Look at verse 20. And it shifts gears here a little bit into what's going on. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Certain Greeks among them. This, this is interesting here because these Greeks that came in here, they're coming with all this other crowd that's coming from far away. But what about these Greeks? Well, I think the word here, worship, should tell you something. They're not just coming to, to be there and to just make a scene or, or any other reason. They are actually coming to worship. They're coming to worship. So when we, when we see the, uh, this word about the Greeks here, I wanted to let you know a little bit about what I found out about, about them. These are not of Jewish ancestry or Jewish nationality, but these are just like I said, they're Greeks. And John tells us that these particular Greeks were going to worship at the feast. Now, Bible scholars have said that these Greeks were called God-fearers. God-fearers. God-fearers were Greeks who rejected the false religion of the Greeks, and they rejected the false religion of the Rome, Romans, and they decided amongst themselves that we believe in one God. We believe in the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. So through their logic, through their reason, through their observing things, through the Old Testament scriptures that they had read, they had come to this point. We believe in God, and we understand that Jesus has come from God and that we are here to worship. We are here to talk to him. We are here to find out more about him. So 
they, they, were, they were not accepted by the Jews, of course, because they didn't believe the way the Jews did. They, they wouldn't convert it to Judaism. They acknowledged, hey, I believe in the God of the Old Testament, one true God, the maker, the creator. So that's who these Greeks were. They were God-fearing men. Now, what do they want? It says that these certain Greeks came among them to the feast to worship. Then verse 21, Then the, the same came therefore to Philip, who was at Bethesda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So what are, what are they doing? They are coming to Philip. Why do they come to Philip? Why of all the disciples, why of other people, why, why pick out Philip? Well, they want to talk to Philip because when you, if you remember way back when we saw Philip back in chapter 1, we talked about how Philip was not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name. In fact, he's the same name as one of the most famous Greeks of the ancient history, Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. Now, does that mean that Philip was a Greek? No, he wasn't a Greek, but he had that Greek name. He was Jewish. But I think in studying into that, they feel like his dad did business with the Greeks or had some kind of dealings with him. And he thought, hey, if my son is going to be in the business here, and if he's going to have affiliation with the Greeks, then maybe it would work out better if he had a Greek name. They would maybe talk to him easier, accept him more. So Philip himself has probably associated with the Greeks in the past. And I can imagine as they made their way to Jerusalem, they probably had already planned this out and said, you know what? Philip is that guy that we need to go and talk to. He'll understand us. We, we'll get a better connection with getting to Jesus. Let's look up Philip. So that's why that they, they picked out Philip. And they, they picked... Philip, they find him and they say, we want to see Jesus. In other words, we want to have an interview with Jesus. We want to sit down and talk with Jesus, a private interview. Let's, can, can we set that up, Philip? Can that, can that happen? And Philip kind of scratches his head in verse 22 and says, uh, I don't know, let me check. So verse 22, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So Philip is thinking, all right, I got these Greeks that really want to interview here with Jesus. I'm not sure that can happen yet. Let me go talk to, Phil to Andrew and see what he thinks. And Andrew and him talk it over, and they said, well, best thing for us to do is let's go see Jesus and talk to him and see if he wants to have this interview with the Greeks. So they're probably wondering, uh, is that going to take place? And it really didn't happen as the Greeks wanted to. They didn't talk with them directly. Uh, but you'll find out here that as he begins to convey his message, he does it to a group of people. So it's not just to them. But they are, they are definitely here wanting to hear about this uh, situation. So uh, this is actually, once again, we've seen a lot of big turning points 
in Jesus' ministry, how it went from him doing certain things to all of a sudden he's doing something totally different, and then he's continuing to move down that path closer to when it's going to be his crucifixion. So this turning point here, as soon as Philip talks to uh, Andrew, and Andrew goes and tells Jesus, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus come up with? Verse 23, 3, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, do you remember many times as we studied through John, Jesus said these words, The hour is not yet come or my hour is not yet come. We often would see that many times. They would enthrong him. They would, they would want to stone him. They'd want to kill him. They'd want to do something. And Jesus would leave that presence, and he said, and the scriptures would say, because his hour was not yet come. So when we see that word hour, it doesn't mean 60 minutes. It means the time. The hour means that particular time. And that particular time that Jesus is talking about is him being glorified. So what is Jesus going to be glorified? By his death. I came to do the will of my Father. And that's when he's going to be glorified, of course, after his resurrection, he'll have that glorified body. So the hour. Now we get to the point here, he's saying, you know what? It's right here now. The time has come now. So it's a very important time. What is that time? That time means a time to die for man's sin. That means a time that his mission, why he came to this earth, will be fulfilled. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him for a mission to die for our sins, lay down his life. And that's what he came to do. So that's why Jesus speaks of it in this way of being glorified, being obedient unto death. And it's glorifying because this is what God is going to use to save lost sinners. You know, there's, there's no other way that we can be saved, no other salvation except through Christ. So through this death, the wrath of God's going to be satisfied. Through his death, it's going to be justice of God to be satisfied. Through his death, we'll see the love and the mercy of God. And it's a great thing. It's an amazing thing for Jesus to say these words. The hour is come that the Son of Man will be glorified. Now, he's speaking of his death here in verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Seeds are sown alone. The seed will have to die. And in doing so, it will bring forth the harvest. So Christ is using this illustration. It's a farmer's illustration. These people understand that. That's what Christ does. He many times will use the phrasing. He doesn't try to make it hard. You know, I, I'm a believer today in that the gospel should be a gospel that everybody understands. Don't make it hard. Don't make it complicated for people that they can't get it. 
But when it's preached, when it's taught, when you are witnessing, make it easy to understand so people will, will get exactly what you're talking about. So he using this farmer's illustration about the seed that falls into the ground and it's got to die before it's going to bring forth the fruit here. So we're finding here that in this analogy here, the fruit Jesus is talking about here is you and me. So we know that it's going to die, it's going to bring forth much fruit, much spiritual harvest. Now, he also goes on to, and after this analogy in verses 25 and 26, you'll see what, what marks us as his fruit here. Notice what he says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So this principle of death producing life, it applies to Christ and what he is doing. But he also goes on to tell us about us. If we feel like our life is so important that we're living just on this earth to do whatever we please, whatever pleases us, whatever we want to do, and that we don't care about anyone else or even our own life, we're just going to live it to the fullest, then what's going to happen to that? We're going to lose our life. But he says, if we come to a point that we know we need a Savior and we know we need to die to self and say, hey, I accept the Lord. You see, that old word of repentance is something that you don't hear much about today. But when people come to that point, when they repent of their sin, they confess their sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So we need to realize that we have to come to that point where we say, hey, I do want to serve the Lord. And that's what he says in verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Remember what I said about the crowd? Many of them were following him for miracles and food and, and, and a sideshow and whatever he could do for them at that particular time, but not for who he was. So Jesus uh, definitely uses these these analogies here, and he wants us to realize it's come time now for me to die, me to lay down my life. And so by his death, a lot of people are going to be saved and forgiven and given eternal life. So little did the Pharisees know, <laughs> whatever they were trying to do to the Lord, the Lord had a, had a mission, he had a Father's will, and he was going to do that till the end. Verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. Look what he said. But for this cause I came unto this hour. So he's still talking about the hour that has come. They, they, are, they are witnessing the time is now here. And we're getting really close as we get on down through the end of this chapter here that Christ is going to die. 
So this awful agony of the approaching death, you know, the Bible says Jesus was like we are in physical sense. He was tempted. He felt, he felt pain. He felt sorrow. He weeped. He would laugh. He would do all the things that we do, but yet without sin. So I think we are at this point here because as Jesus getting closer to this time, uh, this, this agony is, is uh, bringing some emotion out here in Christ. Now is my soul troubled. He's troubled about it. But when we see that word, Father, save me, that doesn't mean weakness on the part of Christ here. Uh, a man may shrink from an experience which he doesn't want to go through or doesn't understand. And that's kind of, uh, you know, the Christ doesn't, he isn't happy to have to go through everything that he's going to have to go through. He knows it's going to be the, the farthest from a joyful experience. I mean, it's going to be a, a terrible, terrible thing. But we find that Christ is going to move forward. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. And guess what took place? Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So Christ's uh, ultimate desire was to glorify the Father's name. And I think God answered from heaven at this point, and he gave him this message. His name has been glorified. He's been obedient. That means he's been obedient through his earthly ministry. He's done everything he, he, was, he meant to do and I sent him to do. And so it will also be glorified again, and that means through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And the people, verse 29, therefore that stood by and heard it, they heard this voice. And to them, it was like thunder. It thundered. And some, some said an angel spake to him. So the people heard it, but they didn't really understand what was going on. It was just a thunderous voice to them. And they thought, you know, maybe an angel had just spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So the voice was also for the people so they'd recognize once again Christ as God. So Christ is referring to his judgment of sin through his death. And of course, pastor's been preaching on these prophecy messages and we know the defeat of Satan is coming. So we're going to stop there. Our time has run out today. But uh, thank the Lord for Christ coming and dying for us. Amen. Going through everything that he did just for us that we may have salvation. Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.